All right, so we are recording, and we have Victor Cobra here. How's it going, Victor? It is going all right. You know, a very nice day today. Yesterday was very big storm, uh, you know, lots of flooding and stuff. But it is beautiful out, so maybe it's worth it. I don't know. Kind of like how market crash is worth it, but because you can buy more. I don't know if that's a very good analogy, but uh, but there it is. How are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, it's been a very good day so far. Um, lots of very interesting uh, events taking place in the market. I mean, there's there's so much going on now. There's there's of course a lot of the ideas that you're posting on on TradingView, and I think a lot of good stuff that we're going to talk about during this during this podcast. But day to day activities so far so good. Today's today's a very good day here. So no storms over here. Uh, just bright and sunny. Uh, typical Southern California weather, not much, uh, not much overcasts or, or rainy, any, any of that's mostly just sunshine probably for at least three quarters of the year, if not more. Uh, So beautiful, California. So beautiful. Yes. Yeah. The, the, uh, the, uh, uh, yeah, the East coast, I, I used to live in the East coast around New Jersey for quite a while. So I still have some good friends that live in Jersey and live actually close to the, like the New York area, the Northeast. So, and then parts, some of them are considering moving to like other States along the, along the East coast as well, but they're, they're mostly locked into the East coast. Uh, I am, I, I believe the town that I grew up in, at least with the, the close group of friends there, I, I believe I'm the only one that's just, miles miles away i think everybody is still mostly either in that northeast area uh, still on the east coast yes east coast uh is least coast uh just kidding but uh there was actually a tornado in new jersey the other day uh so i heard, so I heard. really anyway I, yeah <laughs> tornado kind of like market very unpredictable mm-hmm. Uh, only affects a certain number of people, just like markets only benefit a certain number of people. I don't see what I did there. But in any case, um, yeah, let's talk about stuff. Uh, you know, I think uh, right now we are in a very interesting moment in history. Now, in order to talk about this stuff, I need to be drinking my... Uh, I don't have whiskey this time. I just have tequila mixed with lime juice. But, you know, <laughs> you can... It, it still works, uh, gets the juices flowing, as they say. Um, so, yes, right now we are experiencing interesting moments in the market. Uh, you know, we are seeing historic wealth inequality. We are seeing very uh, exorbitant prices in a lot of things, including assets, Pokemon cards, cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. but even our cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this for almost three years, and I can't even tell you. I mean... You know, market analysis, that is. I can't even tell you. Just kidding. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting time. Um, We talked sort of earlier, right? And we we got into some interesting things about um, asset outperformance and the performance. Uh, I think you brought up a ratio chart um, between the S&P 500 and Bitcoin to kind of see how um, Bitcoin has performed uh, related to the stock market. Uh, you were talking about that, but you know, yeah. anything in particular you would like to start off with? Yeah, sure. So you, you make very good points as far as the 
the prices of everything going to ab- absorbent values just the last couple of years. I mean, we are in this this everything bubble where all the asset classes have been expanding at uh, such an insane rate over the last couple of years. I mean, it's pretty wild seeing what crypto is capable of doing. It's pretty wild seeing uh, even real estate is is blowing up. And then um, all of that going on. And then I, there's a lot of good ideas that I know you have on your trading view charts. And and for for anybody listening in uh, for the first time, uh, Victor Cobra, I do. I, there's uh, whenever there's an idea posted on Trading View, I do go to his his analysis. Um, there are there's there's a, there's a couple people I I have basically a, a list of where I, I go read their ideas, and um, Victor has some very interesting ones with with the markets with Bitcoin. Uh, so yeah, we could we could actually go right into the charts. Um, there's some really interesting ones you had on Bitcoin as far as the macro trends. Uh, some of the ratios, and then I, I guess we we could we could start off with um, any any ones that you might have um, on your screen. We could do a, a screen share. Sure. Yes, I'll share my screen. Let's do this. All righty. There it is. There is my Bitcoin uh, Coinbase chart. Um, as you can see, I have some long-term trend lines marked. You know, I think technical analysis is really interesting. Part of this, um, I'm actually creating my own podcast. And one of the things that I would like to talk about is just technical analysis and what is it and why it does not predict the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not to be used as a tool to, um, you know, say for sure where something is going, but it really is kind of a visual expression of people's feeling about something over time. You can see actually the emotions in the chart. For instance, uh, based on how steeply something goes up, like let's look at Bitcoin at the end of 2017, it went up from like 3,000 to 20,000 in a pretty short time frame and look how steep that is. And then, you know, it steeply dropped off again and you can kind of see the, um, the fear in the market in the movement of the chart. Mm-hmm. So um, in order, you know, using this as a way of understanding it kind of, um, it's more of a psychological standpoint than purely like a uh, necessarily an economic standpoint. They're all interrelated. But that is what creates long-term trends. Um, Basically, you have an asset that has a limited supply, and you have Bitcoin, which is kind of like programmed money. It is is programmed to basically um, the difficulty of creating Bitcoin or mining Bitcoin halves every four years. So it becomes twice as difficult to create Bitcoin every four years, um, which supposedly contributes to the supply shortage because when there's less Bitcoin that can be mined, they're less available to be purchased on the open market. And people just buy and hold Bitcoin, uh, expecting it to continue appreciating in value. And so far, it has done exactly that. It has it has pretty reliable trend lines, as you can see here. Um, you can see that actually uh, Bitcoin bounced off of uh, very close to a trend line recently. I was watching that in a lot of my posts. Um, but why does this? Why do these trend lines actually work? Who knows? I think it's because um, you know part of it is arbitrary, but another part of it is actual 
visual psychology. Someone sees like, oh, this looks like a reasonable spot to buy it, so I'll buy it here. And everyone sort of jumps on the train at the same time. So, um, you know, what happened here, interesting to talk about this, but what happened here, uh, you know, when Bitcoin did not break much below 30,000, as many people mm -hmm. were expecting, you know, what happened there? I noticed actually there was one day where almost all the posts on TradingView on the front page were bearish ideas where everyone was expecting big breakdown here to dump. I mean, it looked, sorry, it was not opacity was low, but yeah, everyone was sort of expecting something like that to happen, just like going to zero. It, it kind of looked like that was going to happen. Our brains look at the symmetry here and they're like, oh, that, that is definitely going to drop, right? But but that's not really the case. I think technical, anal technical analysis is really interesting um, in how it invalidates our own biases. Uh, it's not about predicting, but it's about understanding uh, behavior and how people react to things and using those that understanding to kind of uh, contextualize what's actually going on here. So, um, you know, with Bitcoin, Consolidating basically since it hit 50K, still can't break it. Uh, and it may actually take some time for it to break it as well. Um, you know, it could drop down back to 40K and then bounce. And, you know, there's a lot that can happen. There are always infinite possibilities. Um, but this is definitely something that can happen. Um, you know, if you look at something I do like to look at is actually the total market cap. Um, I know not too many, not too many people actually look at this for some reason, but this really tells you about the true growth of this market. Um, so, uh, very interestingly, the total crypto market cap actually, um, all it did was simply retest the highs from January and bounced perfectly there. Also bounced off, a tr off two trend lines. Um, very interesting, the sort of the point at which it bounced. Um, and actually, if you go to my, my profile, you can see, where is this? Where is it? When did I do this post? Maybe I'm blind. Maybe my... My... Is this, yeah, you're you're looking for the total two post. The, yeah, the uh the total post. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was here, the perfect spot to bounce. Where is it? Oh, is that is that right at the top left? I just saw one with uh all. No. Okay. no, no, no. Well, regardless, uh, I did actually make a post about this. Mm. Uh, I don't I don't know why I don't see it. I think I'm just being blind. Uh, da, 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 da. whatever maybe it's on the second page actually it is it's right there okay yeah so i was looking at this spot and i pressed play and actually price managed to bounce perfectly from there um and that is the spot that you're seeing in this chart right here mm -hmm. um and the total market cap is extremely bullish it's actually very close to the top uh from mm -hmm from May, you can see actually how close it is. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because a lot of that is also stable coins. It's not just cryptocurrencies that are, mm -hmm. you know, non-US dollar 
valuation. So we're, we're seeing a really interesting moment in terms of liquidity, like US dollars getting um, more access. There's a lot of countries around the, around the world where the US dollar is hard to acquire because they're in so much debt. I mean, I'm really I'm reading about this in my global social work class and how how so many countries are just totally screwed because of the power of the dollar. And that's sort of, I think, why we are seeing places like El Salvador, um, you know, do like what they did recently, which is adopt Bitcoin as a legal tender. Um, you know, there's probably a lot of a lot of conversations to be had about that particular instance because we don't know exactly who that's benefiting and it actually be benefiting the average person of El Salvador, but it might be benefiting um, at least some of the wealthy people there so that they can escape some of the uh, problems associated with the US dollar. But that's interesting. I mean, the crypto market cap is almost back to two points. Uh, it topped close to 2.5 trillion um, back in May and it is at 2.2 trillion uh just mm -hmm. honestly like another 15 percent more to go uh yeah. really not very far um total two i think might even be a little closer mm -hmm. um yeah i mean total two actually if we get a weekly close much above here it'll be an all-time high weekly close for the cryptocurrency market cap minus bitcoin that's very interesting. What is going on here? Maybe you can weigh in some of your thoughts about uh, other cryptocurrencies, like the new ones that are mm -hmm. that are sucking up some market cap. Um, you know, other than Ethereum, like Cardano, mm -hmm. uh, Solana. Where did Solana even come from? I mean, I, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> to be honest with you, so maybe you can weigh in a little bit there, um, because a lot of that new market cap is from those. Mm -hmm. those projects i think yeah uh, it's that's a really good question so with with what i'm seeing in the market uh like if we were to compare even to uh, let's say the last cycle where we first saw the introduction of ethereum and smart contracts um there wasn't really uh there there was very distinct chains at the time where you had the proof of work currencies uh so bitcoin litecoin monero and then Ethereum was really the only player in the market at the time that had these these smart contracts. So what's really interesting is like this cycle, we've had the introduction of um, all the ERC-20s that are built into DeFi through Ethereum. And then now the market is starting to figure out that the most valuable part of Ethereum is, is the, the EVM, the, the Ethereum virtual machine itself with Solidity being the programming language that allows these developers to experiment with competing ideas in the market. So uh, Solana came in with uh, a rather nice uh, small network effect to, to, to start that's, that is beginning to grow. So it, what's really interesting is the, the, the gas fee issue on Ethereum, it's starting to, to act as a blow-off valve going into these other networks, Solana being one of them. And I believe Solana actually recently introduced an EVM on their network as well that allows uh, Solidity developers to deploy Ethereum-like smart contracts on Solana. And then there's there's all these bridges being built between 
these various smart contract platforms. So um, historically, we've seen like a, a lot of chain maximalism in the in the market. But what's really interesting is, I, I in my opinion, I think we are starting to see a shift there where we're starting to get other chains that have um, lots of potential to be dominant players in the market. Solana, uh, I know Ada's having a very, very good cycle, even prior to having uh, smart contracts. Personally, I, I don't hold any uh, hold any Ada. I'm a little more uh, skeptical on Ada because they don't quite have the same ecosystem that already exists on something like Solana or, or Polkadot. Um, but there is certainly a lot of demands in the market around the community. They do have a very big community. So it's it's hard to even really um, discount them because they, they, they it's it's pretty incredible with, with DeFi. Anytime there's there's some sort of incentives that pop up on these other chains, the market tends to flow into them like water. And and I think a lot of it is this this incentive based model we're seeing across all of DeFi that's driving these incentives into these other networks. With um, EVM being a very good bootstrap to like incentivize developers to build on these other chains. So it's it's pretty incredible. Solana is certainly. Uh, leading the way right now for the smart contracts. And then it, it does look like the Ethereum price chart is just, um, it, it looks like it's uh, lagging behind a little bit, though Ethereum is also doing uh, very well as well. It, it's, I, I, I have to say this cycle, to me, it, it seems like there's a, a potentially more candidates in the market as to various networks that can stick around over over the test of time. And, and Solana perhaps could be that. Like there's Sam Bankman-Fried, who uh, he's the CEO of FTX. And there's some pretty interesting uh, ways he's involved specifically with Solana and, and a high volume DEX that he's, that he's building on top of Solana. So... Um, there's just so much development that's taking place now, even across all these other chains. And I think we're we're just starting to see like the the networks on them uh, start to uh, blow up, let's say during during a bull market and start to get a lot of attention. So um it's it's really yeah. interesting. I mean, so what what you're looking at right now is actually the you can see percentage wise the price performance um, uh, Solana on the right and Ethereum on the left. Uh, and you can see that Solana has gone b by over 13,000% um, since, you know, like March of 2020, whereas um, whereas Ethereum has gone just close to 3,000%. Mm. Um, so Solana has outperformed, obviously, by a lot, but Ethereum's market cap um, is higher. But that's honestly very impressive. This came out of almost nowhere. So it mm -hmm. seems, and uh, a lot of cryptocurrencies looked like they were about to uh, break down from this descending triangle sort of pattern back uh, between May and July. Uh, but some have actually bounced onto new highs, and Solana is one of them. I don't own any Solana, and I don't own any ADA either. Um, but uh, you know, something I do own actually, uh, and I'm unsure about its future. I think it's really interesting sentiment-wise that so this is going to be kind of a, a segue. Do you mind if I if I sort of segue into something that I'm thinking about uh, in the market? Do you mind if I? Yeah, yeah, definitely, for sure. Okay, cool. So, um, so 
obviously in crypto and in any market, there are things that replace other things and things that gain competitive advantage and take over network networks and things like that. Clearly, Ethereum has some sort of network effect going for it. I suppose Solana does too, because you're saying it has a lot of uh, applications on its platform already. Um, but let's look at something that uh, actually a couple of coins that I own still. I still own these coins, um, you know, for better or for worse. Um, if we look at something like Litecoin, if we look at something like Neo, which have both failed to reach their previous, actually Litecoin reached its previous all-time high but could not sustain it. But um, let's look at Neo because this one just underwent a major uh, network upgrade. Actually, uh, Neo three is now live, um, and this chain actually offers a lot of uh, what you'd expect in a modern blockchain. It has on-chain oracles. Uh, it has interoperability. It has a lot of things that, you know, if this were a more heavily, more widely known project at this point, would probably um, cause it to increase in value by a lot. But instead, it's kind of just sitting there below its previous all-time high, which is interesting to me. Um, and... You know, a lot of things I think are up to chance and feeling, and this will bring me um, to another topic, but let's look at Litecoin as well. Uh, Litecoin also lagging behind, um, you know, even though people still buy it, uh, including myself, I did buy some down at the lows near 100. Um, but I think... You know, this makes me feel like because, as we were talking about in the beginning, asset prices are so uh, so inflated at the moment. It's clear to me that a lot of these coins uh, that are going up the most are hype-driven projects, which tells me that a lot of the money in the market is retail trading, and we we do see that across the market with like with. Um, options traders and the whole Robinhood thing and the whole GameStop phenomenon, uh, the whole meme stock phenomenon. It's all retail traders and they have a lot of market power, it is true. Um, but how afraid does that make people who have deeper pockets? And uh, are we on the verge of some sort of liquidity crisis? We don't know. But um, I think because we see such a, like the largest gains concentrated in such a few projects, uh, like you can see uh, Binance Coin as well. Um, Binance Coin has also had a really incredible, incredible run uh, going from going almost a hundred times since the bottom in uh, in March. Actually, going a little over a hundred times. Um, you know, are we seeing sort of money coalescing into projects that are worth something? Maybe that's the case. Or are we seeing just a bunch of retail um, trading occur? And is this a concern? Is it a concern that, um, that some of these projects just keep going up, even though Bitcoin is going sideways? Um, which is something that happened actually earlier this year. Bitcoin was going sideways and a bunch of other coins were going up like Dogecoin and uh, eventually Bitcoin dropped by a lot. So is this a sign that we are near another peak? Are we going to see a correction? Nobody knows, but there are some 
signs telling me that um, you know we have some overinflated sentiment in the market at the moment, um, especially with futures trading to very high funding for derivatives, which means that trade uh, people who gamble more money than they can afford are gambling on more upside. So the derivatives traders can borrow, you know, yeah. to now Binance 20 times the amount of money that they that they have. Uh, and when people are gambling like that on a direction, usually the herd is wrong. So, um, I mean, I suppose it can keep going up, but eventually I feel like these people who are entering in long positions up here will be squeezed at one point or another. Uh, some way the market will find a way to shake them out. Uh, I don't know. That's usually my, that's my experience with, with trading. Yeah. There's always a pick out. Yeah. The, the, um, the, the other observation I've noticed this is with the, the grayscale premiums. They're still, uh, they're still very negative right now in that there's no net inflows of Bitcoin and Ethereum into grayscale, who was previously a very big supply sink for the market with the amount of Bitcoin and ether they were locking up. So there, there's the, at, at some point I'm sure we'll see, um, like ETFs that should correct the the premiums on the grayscale products back to zero percent, but because of that negative premium exists, it's it means that if anybody's entering through something like grayscale, the coins that they're buying through GBTC do not actually take supply of 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 actual spot Bitcoin off the off the market. So it's been quite a while since we've seen those net inflows into Bitcoin, and and sort of my thought as far as the 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 way the market's expanding because i i do agree with what with what i'm seeing on on the bitcoin price chart um not uh, and to and to some extent even even on ethereum i haven't quite seen a big follow-through with a lot of volume entering the market like perhaps you, you made some good points on the phone call where you could still get that volume spike at some points on the chart but we we haven't quite um seen that yet and and the other thing is if we start to enter another big move up across the entire market with um, lower volume, it, it starts to suggest it's almost like a very textbook example of what's considered like the, the wave five, because we, we've had such a huge run up and, and um, I don't treat like Elliott waves necessarily as an absolute, but they tend to work well on certain price charts like Ethereum. And I've noticed like the weekly volume that's entering the market today, even though I, I think you, with what you're suggesting with a lot of it being retail is very true. Um, and they, they have been pretty powerful in the, in the market so far with this bounce, uh, though I've noticed the volume hasn't quite been as high as what we've seen in the, the last run up we've had, which would suggest at least by, by definition where you start to have this declining volume, but the prices can still, um, can still rise. Cause you're, you're right. There's, there is going to be a certain amount of, um, economic energy of USD that's available. There's a certain pot. There's a certain pot size there, and if if at some point um, a large part of profit taking takes place, that that does um, sort of starve out the rest of the market as as to what is is left at that point. So, um, you know, I think even the the lines you have drawn there, or that some of the curves are are realistic scenarios that could play out as far as e even potentially retesting um, a trend line. But as as far as the the all-time high scenario past um, 65k. Uh, that's going to be. I, I. It's going to be interesting if we see see the volume come in or whether it can still 
rise at this um, reduced volume comparatively to what we've seen so far during this bull market. Yes. Yeah, you make a good point about volume. We did talk about this on the on the call. Um, so let's look at the actual volume here. Um, you know, we had actually pretty decent volume at each of the points when price went down to 30,000 or below. You can see the big volume spikes there. Even, uh, even the last time, uh, actually the last time was kind of our sign of, um, I don't know, sign of weakness for bears because the volume on this last drop was really low. So that kind of told me that a lot of the bears, a lot of the people who wanted to sell already sold and it was just mm -hmm. a last minute kind of uncertainty, panic sellers saying, just giving up, you know. Um, so this is a small capitulation. And then uh, we did actually have some decent spot buyer volume. This is Coinbase. So we have spot buyer volume here. Uh, pretty decent. Um, you know, um, if we compare the volume, clearly it's it's a little bit, it's lower than it was, um, you know, I think on the run, on this run here uh, leading up to the first touch of the 40, 42,000 level, it is actually, it's lower than that point. Um, but it's not really any lower than the volume that occurred uh, back here. Mm. So before, um, it actually might even be a little higher than this volume, before Bitcoin actually broke the all-time high, there wasn't really much volume, to be honest. Volume only started coming in once Bitcoin broke this uh, 13.8K resistance level from uh, back in... Uh, back in 2019. That's when the volume really came in. Otherwise, really wasn't that much. Yeah. And the largest amount of spot volume we actually can see on that uh, candle from May, which day was that? Um, 19th of May, 19th of May, uh, huge spike in volume. I don't know the last time we saw volume like that. Um, huge amount of spot buyer volume. We've only had that amount of volume. Let's see. We had close to that amount of volume on the COVID crash. We had close to that amount of volume on the first dump from 42K. So we have actually, if you look at the weekly charts, volume is sustaining at a pretty decent level. It's actually sustaining at a higher level than 2019 and even parts of 2020. Um, so I would say volume actually looks pretty healthy. Um, it's not declining per se. It's just kind of yeah. stabilizing at a higher level. And that's something that I'm seeing. I'm actually seeing a lot, a lot of people becoming very interested in cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, there was a party at my, my house a couple of weeks ago and people were just in the corner opening Coinbase and talking about crypto and, you know, actually... In the circles I run in, these are these are artists. These are artists and musicians. These aren't like tech bros or people you would expect to be really into crypto. Like, um, so I'm finding that it's becoming more accepted and more inspiring to people, young people who are not necessarily, um, you know, finance 
people or traders or investors. Um, it definitely appeals to the mindset of millennials and probably Gen Z uh, people because we all experienced the 2008 crash. We understand the risks associated with uh, the banking system. And, um, you know, I think people are seriously considering this as an alternative. What is, where does price meet adoption? That is the real question. Um, does price keep going up indefinitely? Um, does it eventually stabilize? Does it actually stabilize at a higher price or does it stabilize mm -hmm. at a lower price? Right. Um, we don't we don't really know yeah and there's something very interesting because i i like the uh it's, it's the two magenta lines so that the, that upper channel there um where the price broke into you uh twice even so far during this this bull market cycle because that um it, it would be very interesting because right now there's a lot of speculation as to the models that are more likely to be true for like let's say bitcoin there's the competing it's like the lengthening cycle theory that uses the logarithmic regression chart versus the um the stock to flow model that's more open as to what the upside is so um with with, with that in mind the the I, I'm not because of, of everything that's taking place as far as the money printing and and there's a really good one that that I think you, you even have on your chart as far as the, the the money printing and then the relative ratio as to what that what that price actually means if you consider oh. the amount of supply introduced into them as far as fiat supply goes. Yes, so I actually do have a chart about that. It is the da, 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 da. yes, this one, mm -hmm. this analysis. Um, basically I was looking at the M2 money supply, uh, which is basically all the money, you know, in theory in circulation, correct? Mm -hmm. Isn't that what it is? It's like, the yeah, I think that's true. In, in theory, the most accurate representation mm -hmm. for like how much, you know, mm -hmm. cash is, is, or how much money has been printed, how much money exists. Um, so I, I pulled up this interesting ratio chart, which is actually, the S&P 500 versus the amount of money that's in existence. And what you get is that the uh, since really, I don't know, since the creation of this chart, it's basically been going sideways. So the S&P 500 only grows relative to, um, to how much money, or it doesn't really grow relative to how much money is in the system. It only grows relative to, I guess, how much people need more money or how much, uh, leverage there is or how much profit there is in the market mm -hmm. um you know it's a psychological situation where uh the amount of cash um you know the amount, the amount of cash uh as it increases allows for prices in the market to keep increasing um you know pretty clear situation there you can see um here uh, is basically the level of money, money printing. There have only been a couple of periods where money printing slowed down. Those were actually um, 1990 through 95, and then sort of, um, you know, in the early 2010s, um, which is interesting to me. So if you take that period between 1990 and 1995, 
that. Da, 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 da. Where is that? Actually, interestingly enough, that was um, that period. Um, we did actually see the uh, the SBX over M two ratio grow, mm. and then we had sort of a blow off period uh, during the dot com boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right yeah. now, actually, it looks like we're close to a blow-off period if we sort of use this as a model to, um, to ex- because I think, I think what they do with uh, financial policy, at least in this in this sense, is if we get something extreme, if the ratio of how much how many how much gains people have, how much wealth has been generated, mm-hmm. if the ratio of that wealth to how much money actually exists gets too high, then the mm-hmm. risk gets too high the leverage right. gets too high mm-hmm. um you know so at this period like if we if the S, if sp500 gets all the way back to uh you know one third of you know in theory the amount of money that is uh that is in circulation mm-hmm. then i think policy needs to be tightened in order for the leverage to not be a total disaster you know mm-hmm. um that's sort of uh, that's sort of how I look at this chart. Yeah, um, this is this is a amazing chart because um, as far as the the money supply, because it it it's like the whole thing where there's just a certain amount of cash or or fiat or some digitized form of like stable value that exists. So this is actually a very good way to to kind of see like what the relative size of like that pot is of, of money versus like the even the, the S&P 500. I think this is very useful. This is actually very, very useful chart because that that bubble zone, it looks like it, it does want to, uh, or it's, so far, it, it looks like it, it may try to break into that bubble zone and try to try to retest those those higher ratios. It's, it's also really interesting because the um, it looks like the the bottom red line around 0.08 um, it, it retested those those prior lows back from like the early uh, the seventies and through the eighties, and it, it'd be pretty pretty it would be insane because if you get like a, a repeat, um, it, it could suggest basically a very long bear market if it goes into that speculative bubble and hits like those higher those higher targets again, and then goes into into sort of that that bear period that could last for. Um, quite a long time for for equities because I, I do imagine the equities market is so massive and the crypto market is is very small relative to equities. So um, I, I think there's this idea where like crypto can decouple from from equities, which I don't I don't actually believe that because I, I kind of view the amount of circulating supply of money that exists once it gets starved somewhere drastically, then everybody else starts to fight over that remaining pot of money, which could bring basically all the markets down at that time. So um, in terms of de-risking, yeah, that bubble zone would certainly be a great time, like it, just to remove some risk, like off the table, just based off, just based off the prior trends we see here. Really good chart. Yeah. I like this chart a lot. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so it's also interesting to point out that the US dollar index is not really in a downtrend anymore. A lot of people keep on saying the U.S. dollar is crashing. Uh, we may see hyperinflation eventually, but that doesn't necessarily mean the U.S. dollar will crash, because the U.S. dollar is still still has a financial collapse around the world. So there's still demand for the dollars. Um, this really tells me the demand for dollars versus other currencies, and not really telling me 
like how much how many dollars I need to purchase the bread or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two things are actually separate. So in a, in a financial collapse, you can see the demand, at least initially, the demand for dollars goes way up as people need money to pay for for things that they need to survive. You mm-hmm. can't use crypto to survive uh, at this point, really. You can't use NFTs to survive, certainly not. Um, you know, you can't use Pokemon cards to survive. Um, it's, you know, real, real, um, you know, the needs, goods people need. Um, and uh, yeah, actually you were mentioning sort of the other, so this brings me to something I know you wanted to talk about was kind of my ratios of um, different, you know, Bitcoin versus different mm-hmm. uh, assets. So I have this chart where I was uh, looking at price performance of Bitcoin versus um S&P 500 and also gold and Tesla. And because actually these charts, except for Tesla, which is interesting, because Bitcoin is performing, Bitcoin is performing pretty well against uh, SPX and gold. Uh, it almost looks like the Bitcoin versus US dollar chart, actually. Um, so what that tells me is that, you know, maybe when those other things decline, Bitcoin will decline harder, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. So you might be right in saying that uh, crypto is not divorced from the rest of the market, um, but at least it is outperforming the majority mm-hmm. of the market at mm-hmm. this point, except Tesla, uh, except Tesla and maybe uh, uh, what else? Uh, maybe GameStop. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know. But uh, yeah, there are very few assets that are currently um, doing mm-hmm better than Bitcoin um, and by extension better than crypto because Ethereum has been doing better than Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting to me. And what's very interesting, uh, I did actually have this chart um, posted up. We were talking about the long-term outlook for Bitcoin. Um, if you look at it from an adoption perspective, I like to compare it to Amazon because Amazon is something that started as being used for just a few things and then became wildly more um, applicable to all aspects of, you know, what people need and what people do, including streaming. So um, it really had a serious network effect. And Bitcoin also has a serious network effect. And so I was comparing these two charts um, showing that Bitcoin actually might not have extended bear periods like it has in the past. Um, you can see that actually uh, Amazon had really uh, one really extended bear period. I know Bitcoin has had more than one, um, but because of the amount of money in Bitcoin right now, it might be hard to push prices that low again. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Interest- I think this is an interesting possibility. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is re- really interesting. Yeah, the, fra- the fractals are pretty amazing seeing seeing some of that because yeah that is so 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 similar like that you're absolutely right because at some point um yeah amazon had a huge down draw in that after that dot-com boom and it's been very linear since then just up into the right following those uh that that trend line instead of those those logarithmic regression curves that we're used to seeing in in crypto because yeah i mean amazon clearly it's not following a, a logarithmic regression line. It's following a very steady 
uptrend, which is really incredible. So uh, versus yes. like, yeah, that, this is where I, I do think like with all the, the money and, and all that stuff that's in, like even that that uh, curve you have drawn where it hits those higher price targets, there's some uh, models I've seen where it's suggested between, you know, one, it was like somewhere close to like $100,000, but it, it wouldn't, I don't think it'd be out of the question for it to blow, to break some of the previous models, just if you compare it to other fractals that have taken place, like in Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. It can break, it can break this log curve um, easily. I mean, I grew this, I drew this green scenario as a potential, mm -hmm. like, what if we started the bear market now? I yeah. was expecting a bounce up to at least 46K, but because it's so close to the 50K, it looks a little stronger than it, I think it should if, if we were in a bear market. Mm -hmm. um, it's looking a little stronger. Um, but, you know, it can easily turn this into a long-term channel and head up towards 300,000 or something like that. It could easily do that. I mean, you can see that here uh, in, in this kind of parallel channel. Um, and actually, this is an example of how these things can be invalidated. So um, a long time ago, I drew um, like an Apple log curve situation sort of thing. And you can see that um, uh, Apple actually totally smashed its log mm -hmm. curve. <laughs> like, look, look at that. That's not even like, not even a question. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. So yeah. you can see how after it broke above the log curve, it went from 70 to, you know, it, it doubled essentially. Uh, different type of price increase, uh, very different scale, but you get kind of the idea that these curves on the log scale, there's no, mm -hmm. they don't have to be be respected you know right uh this had three touches on the log curve before it broke actually one two three four touches so mm -hmm. uh, very interesting yeah just uh wanted to share that um da -da -da -da. i don't know is there anything uh else you would like to talk about i know i, I will have my own podcast where i, I will be talking about um mm -hmm you know, the psychology behind technical analysis, why I like it, not why I think it can be used to predict anything per se, but just why I think it's interesting from a collective behavioral standpoint. Yeah. Um, you know. yeah, it's a good, that's a good point. I would say the behavioral stand, that's something I find very interesting because the, the moves we see on, on price charts, like for, my take on on a lot of the like the volatility you see it's like the markets are extremely chaotic and the emotions that somebody is experiencing across like an entire market because the, the reactions are going to be vastly different from like one person to another like people can be experiencing um extreme levels of of doubt and then on the on the, the polar opposite side they could be ex experiencing extreme levels of like euphoria so where it's just it's like an insane amount of adrenaline so this like the these extremes and the the, the chaotic nature the the impulsive waves on the price chart in my mind are a projection of like all the emotions that are taking place during that market cycle so i 
I personally find the 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 emotional psychology the most interesting part of it because it it makes sense at least in my mind um, why like the the charts can look so chaotic because because humans are very emotional like it's just how how everything evolved over over um as a species like everything that's on on the planet like there's 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 a lot of um there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are just driven based off emotions and i think a markets are are the result of whatever that emotion means collectively at that time um and like emotions are always changing like the it's just the the nature of it over time so so that's why i, I keep my mind open is like the sentiment and the emotions in the market can change, which will change the results on on the price chart that can alter trends and all that stuff that creates uh, markets that are very indeterministic and tends and and that's why most models at least uh, most models tend to break down over time versus uh, considering let's say various possibilities and then just considering like what's even more likely to play out. Like I would say, just getting a, a a compilation of all the tools and and analyzing it in a way that paints a, a pretty good picture can definitely give a, a huge edge in the market. But yeah, I have I have very deep appreciation for the sentiment aspect of it and what it means for financial assets. Yeah, thank you. That that's a pretty pretty good overview of of how you feel about it. I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, and, uh, you know, just looking at uh, human behavior over time, that's really all it is, is looking at, um, let's, uh, let's look at the Dow Jones for a second. Um, is this my chart? Is this the chart? No. Um, I think it's really interesting because you can sort of see periods when like I was saying, when the market is doing really well, you have a bunch of people with profit, with a lot of wealth that has been generated. But where does that all go once the tension sort of releases and once that energy goes somewhere else? Um, because the universe operates on energy. People who believe in uh, astrology, I think it's an interesting, um, interesting comparison to technical, technical analysis because both of them are often dismissed as pseudoscience. But usually people are just looking at it the wrong way. They're not really understanding that it's about relationships between the behavior of things in the universe over time. It's not really about predicting per se. It's just explaining, oh, well, this has been happening for some time. So it becomes more likely that something in contrast to that will happen. But things have been going really well. Well, that increases the probability that the psychological buildup of all those really positive events for everyone's gain, someone loses something. There's emotional highs, emotional lows during the pandemic, rich people gained a lot of money, but poor people lost a lot and continue to lose a lot of money. And when you have unrest triggered by that, then you get volatility in markets and people's feelings about things, political unrest, all of that stuff. I mean, the Dow Jones dropped in, 1929, we had a lot of big uh, global events that actually happened around this period of immense market volatility. Um, you know, we had uh, the beginning of World War II. We had a pandemic, guys. We had a pandemic um, actually prior to this big melt up in the market. Mm -hmm. um, 
So the last big global pandemic occurred, you know, before this big, big, uh, big bubble. And then we had our huge crash. And now look where we are now. Very similar pattern. Again, patterns don't have to play out exactly um, the way they did in the past. But I've been looking at this for a while. And actually, things have continued to behave exactly as they did before. Do they continue to behave that way? We don't know. We don't know if the Dow Jones will crash from 50,000 to 5,000. Uh, we don't know if that's going to happen, but something like that did happen before. So I, I don't know. I just think the, these things are very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, um, that fractal is it's uh, pretty crazy just how, because right, the green hammers line up. It, it looks exact to me. The fractal looks so, it looks spot on with, with the with basically like the the um the events leading up to like the great depression because like there's a lot of things that are uh like even today there's the system is so massively leveraged up um i'm not i'm not necessarily uh like worried about like a, a super big uh market crash or something like that but i will certainly like this is why having you know some cash and perhaps like other assets too is very very useful because like as victor's suggesting there's there's things that can trigger these types of events in history and um the 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 patterns you see in, in the market like it's it's pretty amazing because like the dow jones yeah we've seen it retest the bottom of that channel uh multiple yeah. times in history so it to me it's a very it's it's a it's a possibility that is on the table at some point um and it could even it could even happen sometime during this decade with 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 everything that's going on with like geopolitics uh you made some really good points with like globalization um earlier i think this is when we were we were offline which is really interesting so there's a lot of things that are very chaotic now from just the political standpoint um and then it's it's really interesting because like even back to the uh even, even touching base back on like different coins performing um, performing very well, outperforming other coins and, that have been in the market for a while. It's like we're getting all these different, like crypto, it, at least in, it, to, to an extent in my mind, is also like a, it's like a canvas of all these various ideas in the market and that are competing against each other, which which could either be a very beautiful thing or depending on, on the way the person looks at it. Um, it's really interesting because like it's all these all these ideas that are clashing that can trigger um, some sort of event that takes place and then you get some sort of um, trigger or some some sort of response that can start to play out across like all the price charts. But yeah, I guess here on, on Bitcoin dominance, um, it definitely looks super bearish for Bitcoin dominance. And <laughs> it looks so bad. It looks so <laughs> bad. Like unbelievably bad. And what's funny is, um, is that uh, I remember actually up here in 2019, September 2019, mm -hmm. uh, the posts on uh, Bitcoin markets, a uh, subreddit uh, about how all altcoins were going to zero, Ethereum was going to zero, um, you know, those people don't exist anymore. I don't know where they are, but they just suddenly disappeared mm -hmm. um, over the last uh, over the last year or so. But I remember some pretty substantial posts about this, um, and it you know uh, 
if we're looking at this from just a technical indicator standpoint, man, the stock is at bottom. The ultimate oscillator is at bottom. The MACD is like, looks like it's ready to just keep going down. Um, you know, this looks objectively awful. Uh, for Bitcoin dominance. Why is that? I mean, is it stable coins? Is it the advent uh, advantages of other blockchains? Um, you know, what is driving this? And I think, you know, I think it's because people are excited about other, other applications of crypto, not just uh, as, a, as a store of value per se, um, but as a way to generate passive income, as a way to share wealth with others, potentially, although we're not quite there yet. But, um, you know, DeFi has really taken off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think this dominant thread is interesting. I thought it could actually test 50% before dropping, but it couldn't even get up there. Now it's dropping again. So, mm-hmm. um but this also could tell us where we are in the cycle. This could tell us that we're actually closer to a peak um, than many think or have already peaked um, or uh, we're also further away from the peak than many people think. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe we're only like in April 2017 and maybe we're going to have two more legs down, like one and then two, all the way mm-hmm. down to like 15% dominance. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we could actually see that, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I it isn't a long-term downtrend, technically. Yeah. So we yeah. have yet to see a new low. But that's something that can happen. Or, you know, as I said, charting is not about predicting. Or maybe it just bounces from this level and uh, goes back up to 60%. Nobody knows, but it looks pretty bad. And, you mm-hmm. know, I'm sure you would agree a lot of this is because of... Um, what I was talking about, like stable coins and new projects with more applications, yeah. DeFi, uh, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, I, I personally am, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised, like, in a, like, in an adopted space, if we're talking like two decades from now, where Bitcoin acts as like some sort of like pseudo store of value that's somewhat, it's regarded as like a store of value to some extent in the market. Um, but in terms of its like macro trends, the charts right now, they're just painting a very bearish picture. So personally, I'm just, you know, I'm just projecting off like what the, the trends are saying on the chart. I'm personally much more bearish on like the the overall um, opportunity within within Bitcoin. And, and I, you know, I, I hold that there is a little bit of Bitcoin I hold in, in uh, one of my this is. In, in some sort of like uh, retirement account, I hold a little bit of Bitcoin in there, but um, I'm personally much more bearish on it's like it, it'll it'll certainly grow in the market. It can certainly hit these these higher valuations over time. Um, in my opinion, I, I think there's far more opportunity when it comes to DeFi because the incentive model is is much better, as you suggested, with the passive income. There's there's just more of an incentive to um, to let's say holds other coins that generate this passive income versus uh, Bitcoin, where you can't tap into that unless you're you're a miner in the market. And and the whole thing with with mining is because the overhead costs are so high when it comes to mining. It's it, it does at least to me like add potentially more selling pressure versus um, perhaps like some of these staking coins that don't have this this type of dilemma. There's there's 
uh, I get there's different merits to proof of work versus proof of stake, but um, to me, it would it seems to make sense that staking would outperform proof of work because there's not that overhead cost of um, or, or as much I should say when it comes to like the proof of work cost and the cost to operate, which forces uh, miners to sell the price down at least to some extent on the on the price charts. But to the total two chart here looks. It really incredible that um, that moving average you have there. It looks like it bounced perfectly off that off the yeah off the nine month EMA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the nine month EMA, and that's what I was looking at with Bitcoin to kind of figure out if we were in a bear market or not. Mm -hmm. uh, because as you can see, um, below the nine month EMA last time meant that we were in a bear market when it closed below, but total two never closed below. So mm -hmm. that is why I actually held on to my crypto. Uh, throughout the crash and even bots a little bit more mm -hmm. uh, and why I still actually haven't reduced risk yet. Uh, mm -hmm. I did initial, I, I took on my initial risk earlier this year as part of my own investment plan. Mm -hmm. um, that was my own personal decision. Um, but uh, as you can see, actually Total 2 just had an all-time high monthly close. I don't think anybody is talking about this. Maybe I'll make a separate uh, video about this myself. But Total 2 just had an all-time high monthly close. It closed, mm -hmm. um, let's see, closed at one, almost 1 1.2 trillion. Um, it closed at 1.07 trillion in April and closed below 1 trillion in May. So... Uh, believe it or believe it or not, Total Two is still definitely in a bull market. Mm -hmm. um, but Bitcoin, um, very interesting. It actually closed below the MA in June, mm -hmm. which actually told me to be a little concerned. Mm -hmm. um, but since then, we we've had two green monthly candles. I'm working on the third right now. Um, uh, which is interesting to me. I mean, if we look at total, I wonder if total, this is the whole market cap, including Bitcoin. Uh, did total have an all-time high close, 2.08? No, not quite. So the altcoin market is clearly um, still in a bull market while Bitcoin is not, which is interesting to me. Um, that didn't even, I don't think that even happened in twenty. 18. I mean, yeah. 2018 Bitcoin topped. Uh, and um, yeah, even total two did not have a higher monthly close than December. Mm -hmm. It went, it shot up. We had a blow off top, but that was it. There was no mm -hmm. higher monthly close. So very different, uh, very different situation now. Interesting. Uh, yes. Yeah, this, this looks like it would be the, the, or it looks like it could potentially be the first separation like with the altcoin market to, to a large extent being somewhat at least decoupled right now or they're still they're still expanding um because what, what's really interesting and this is this is something i believe will happen inevitably at some point i i do believe we will see ethereum flip bitcoin uh not financial advice of course like there that's just my my thoughts on on the trend for ethereum um, because what's what's very underrated, if even on the ETH to Bitcoin pairs, it's been in a very clear uptrend since its lows. It, it made a higher low during the bear market, and the ETH to Bitcoin pair has been doing very stellar this 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 entire market cycle. And it and the the monthly chart here looks very bullish uh, versus versus the ratio. And we could see. I, I remember Vic, Victor had 
um, an idea early on for for Ethereum. This was actually, I think, in like the depths of the of the bear market, where <laughs> it could potentially test like higher highs on the ratio relative to last cycle. Oh yes, think, uh, yeah. I don't know where that chart is. Mm -hmm. It might be somewhere here. I don't know. It's not Bitstamp. I I know exactly what you were talking about. Um, I don't think it's this chart uh, necessarily, but um, mm. I do think it can at least get back to the highs against Bitcoin. Um, mm. But it's in a very strong uptrend, above the uptrend channel even. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, also the monthly MACD just flipped green and, uh, and uh, we got, um, yeah, so I think it could be worth point, point 0.3. What, what do you know of and which ratio uh, Ethereum will flip Bitcoin? Do you know off, offhand? Yeah, I believe I believe it's around point um, one six five, so sixteen point five percent, which isn't even that much higher above its uh, above the local top it had in um, during the twenty seventeen boom. Hmm. I'm trying to find this uh, so point one six five. Yeah, I think that's mm -hmm. definitely possible. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah, this there idea here. This is, okay, this is really I found. Um, yes, I mean it took much longer to play out, and also it's much slower moving this time, which tells me that it might actually be more sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, you see how much time it's taken to even get to this point? Well, actually, this is earlier. But yeah, it's definitely not playing out how I was speculating it could play out, which is usually the case with this sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it is slowly making its way up, um, possibly mm -hmm. those levels. And I kind of like this slow, this slow uptrend. But this was the chart from, mm -hmm. uh, from 2019, almost two years ago. Yeah. Uh, I also was looking at dominance, and I did basically mm -hmm. call the bottom on Ethereum with the ratio, um, mm -hmm. and also with, with the dominance. Yes. Yeah, that's in, that's incredible because the it, it, at least one of the one of the events that's taking place in Ethereum, in addition to EIP fifteen fifty nine, that has been a very good upgrade when it comes to Ethereum's price to kind of dial in that deflationary effect uh, but there's also going to be the merge when they roll into proof of stake where the issuance drops off drastically so um with what i'm seeing at least in the market i mean things are are pretty much lining up pretty nicely like even though the timing isn't um isn't is is different than versus what was was originally suggested the macro trend is still the same it's still the same valid macro trend it's just taking a little bit longer to play out and the the protocol upgrades that ethereum has been doing um to me have proven at least in 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 this market cycle and and perhaps moving forward that the that the um, smart contract platforms have uh, kind of this competitive advantage where the com these decentralized communities can enhance the protocol that encourage uh, basically asset growth as we see on the Ethereum price chart. And then especially with the merge where the tokenomics of it do get vastly superior at that point relative to 
um, relative to Bitcoin. So this is why I'm personally speculating like the inevitable is going to happen. And and it, and if we see that, I'll call that event the uh, the Kingslayer. The Kingslayer, I love it. Actually, my partner and I have been binge watching Game of Thrones recently. Mm -hmm. um, I. Uh, I watched it a while ago and also read the books, but uh, but she has never seen it. So we've, we're on season five right now. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Jamie Lannister, the Kingslayer. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, this is the Ethereum Bitcoin charts uh, with just the moving averages. And you can see we have a golden cross on the weekly. That's actually a pretty strong bullish indicator. Uh, golden cross is when the 50 week moving average crosses above the 200. Um, so you can see that golden cross, um, very interesting. What's also kind of interesting is Ethereum on the daily charts, uh, having a golden cross right after the death cross. <laughs> Pretty funny, actually. Like death cross for like just how many days? Like four days, and then mm -hmm. golden cross. It's kind of funny. I think I find that a little humorous, um, but. Uh, but yeah, Ethereum is getting close to those, uh, to some of those high high levels. Probably we'll find some resistance up there. Mm -hmm. um, we're getting a bit overheated on the oscillators, but MACD just flipped green. So who who knows? We are in unprecedented moments in the market. Uh, I think we are we are seeing some very unusual events occurring, and as we were sort of uh, hinting at. Oh, Litecoin. Litecoin's finally moving up by like a dollar. That's nice. Um, sorry to bash on Litecoin. Everyone bashes on Litecoin, even though I own some. It's become kind of a joke at this point. Um, but uh, anyway, sorry, I got sidetracked. Um, very unusual things happening, as, uh, as my friend was pointing out, with the uh, with globalization. We're feeling everything collectively now. Uh, communication mm -hmm. is a lot more easy. We have climate change. We have a lot of uh, unpredictable, chaotic things happening, a lot of social division, um, you know. So that means we're more likely to see kind of volatile events play out in markets, a lot of emotion, um, you know, a lot of people being very sure of themselves in one thing, but also very unsure. Uh, I think I was talking about earlier at the very beginning of this podcast about uh, Bitcoin being programmable money and being kind of a source of certainty amidst all the uncertainty. Um, I think that's conceptually and philosophically very interesting. Mm. Um, you know, so we're seeing some some strange things happen. Like, let's look at Litecoin for a second. Uh, underperforming crypto, although not performing like so much worse than Bitcoin. But, um, you know, this one, if it breaks above the 200-day moving average here, it, it has a lot of room. It can literally just go straight to 400, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing some very strange behavior across markets. Um, so uranium, somebody in the Wall Street Bets um, forum was talking about this. Somebody posted some very good due diligence on um, the uranium market. Uh, I've been looking at this ever since somebody mentioned it to me, like back in 2019. Somebody asked me my thoughts on uranium, and I said, "Well, it could go." It was at like 10 or something. I said, "Well, it could go a lot lower, but if it gets back above 13, it's probably a buy." And then mm -hmm. you know, broke like 13, and and it's just 
been going up. Um, you know, just a lot of chaos. Uh, these Wall Street bets people. I'm sorry to sidetrack track here because this is not crypto, but I think it says something about um, psychology and collective power uh, in financial markets. Because let's say we have a real asset like uranium um, or, or a real um, a real element that is used to create energy, to create a resource, you know, something that's important for survival. Arguably, clean energy is important to our future survival. Um, and nuclear is becoming a much more clean energy source. So what happens if all these Wall Street bets, people push up the price of uranium to a ridiculous amount? What happens to that industry? What power does this group of people actually have over the clean energy industry? Um, you know, I think that's very fascinating. You can see that even uranium is, is outperforming um, or at least leading the clean energy sector. It's already close to the recent high while a lot of other um, you know, looking at the uranium ETF right now, uh, a lot of other um, clean energy stocks and things are not have not reached their all time high yet, or not reached their recent high yet. So, I don't know. Just interesting, interesting stuff. Collective psychology heard piling in on things and creating real change. Globalization, connecting everything. Yada yada. I'm just blabbing right now, but you know, very interesting. Well, these are these are uh, these are still very like even if it, even if it's not crypto, what's really interesting, and this is this is at least kind of what I'm suggesting is taking place like with with globalization with the internet, and even though Wall Street bets isn't uh, crypto specifically, there's still a huge collective that exists on the internet. So with all these competing ideas and uh, and how a lot of it, like the, a lot of the narratives are, are driven by dominance and financial markets is, is worth it. To me, it seems like we're, we're getting the, these, this huge rise in, in internet democracies that are taking place across all these different communities on the internet. So crypto, of course, is uh, one of the main hubs for that. But Wall Street Bets is also another very large collective that um, collectively has a lot of power um, and, and financial mass on the internet that could really drive things. So it's so interesting to me. It's fascinating seeing it, seeing this play out because um, it, it's, it seems like right now we're, we're seeing sort of this shift where the, the, the legacy system, so, so to say, there's a lot of um, abandonment, at least psychologically with like the younger generations that are coming in. And then we're seeing this, this, this rise of various, um, collectives that just exist on the internet that could in some way shape these financial markets to, to a huge extent at some point, like in our lifetime. So I think that's a very interesting topic. Like I, I, I do believe even crypt, the crypto market itself with, with enough time and granted there, there's going to be a lot of um, volatility like along the way, but we're, uh, I, it, to me, it seems like we're, we're seeing, these different forms of democracy exist as different ideas in different forms um, on the internet where the value of it is pegged to some sort of price chart that is like collectively behind um, sort of some sort of community that that's there, like Bitcoin being one of the earliest examples of that, if we're not um, necessarily considering like Wall Street bets. <clears throat> 
Yeah, that's a really that's a really good point. Um, yeah, I mean, you could you could look at these price charts as like the community growth over time as well. Um, you know, that's a very very interesting point you make there, um, and also different forms of democracy um, kind of showing themselves like. Um, even in how the protocols of each chain is developed, there are different kinds of, of democracy, essentially, like voting, like who gets to vote, uh, what do people get for voting, what do they vote on, you know, who is, who is responsible, like delegates, you know, all that sort of thing. All of that is actually involved in crypto. So it's an interesting decentralized um, financial system that does have some governance, you know. Um, so yeah, very, very fascinating. And some of that governance is actually by the community itself. And I think maybe it's uh, kind of an evolution. Maybe it's not the end point, but maybe crypto and how it works is the, uh, is a bridge to another way of existing in society that is more, um, uh, collective and responsible, um, you know, despite all the division that we're having, I think people really crave something that is certain, as I said before, like mm -hmm. uncertainty might be creating more confidence in something like crypto, where it's, you know, you have this much Bitcoin, it's not going to change. Um, you know, you know, the blockchain is final, it cannot be, it cannot be changed, except in some cases. But, um, you know, people are craving this sort of like, coherent narrative about things. Mm -hmm. And that way, it's kind of also like a religion. The religion is a narrative that is used to bring people together yeah. um, so they can communicate better. I don't know. But yeah, all this stuff is very fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, because it's, it's like even if you consider that, and this is why I don't I don't buy like the narrative where it's just one one blockchain to rule them all. Because um, we we see it even this this cycle based off the trends so far. Sure, that that could change, but based off the trends, we're seeing so far there is like a disruption on the Bitcoin narrative based off its dominance in the market. And then um, even even like if you look at the evolution of of species on on the Earth, I mean, you have different countries, you have different races of people. Like in in nature, you you have so many different things. So I I just think that the nature of of how everything sort of comes together and just the way the species have evolved over time uh, to me I, I think we'll see a lot of that play out too as as well in in financial markets with these these the, the, this um, competing ideas that multiple ideas and, and viewpoints and collectives can can have um, lots of value behind them so uh, really good really interesting psychology experiment for sure and I'm very excited to see what what comes of that over the next over the next decade with with um with with, with even just some of the more interest like even in something you know crypto as you mentioned recently a few of um the the non tech bros where it's actual like artists that that previously didn't look at crypto are now starting to get like more involved in in the space and it, and even in things with like NFTs too like there's um, artists that are that are getting familiar with the the digitization of like different pieces of art and then having the ability to to use like a distributed ledger to um, buy and sell like uh, um, art pieces yeah the nft thing is very interesting 
I agree. Uh, I am gonna have to wrap up in a second. Um, mm-hmm. You know, probably should be time for me to to go in a few minutes. But um, but but uh, yeah, about NFTs. Um, it is interesting because a lot of the ones that are selling for a crap ton of money are the ones that uh, are most easily easily created. They're just slight mm-hmm. variations off the same thing, mm-hmm. which. You know, as an artist myself, that is something artists critique all the time is the replication and commodification of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with Andy Warhol's uh, Kimball's soup can, you know, critiquing that that element of, um, you know, consumer culture and capitalism. I think I think NFTs were seeing some sort of almost surreal hyper consumerism. Mm-hmm. Um that's kind of what I see it as. Although I see it, I see the potential for NFTs to be really helpful for artists in a number of ways. But so far, it seems like a lot of the NFTs are really just easily created and don't necessarily, um, you know, value the craft or the artistry behind it. And then that opens up the whole debate of what is art and what is valuable in art? Is it the story? Is it the uniqueness? Is it the uh, is it the craft? What is it that makes the art valuable? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in this case, I don't know what it is. And maybe it's just it's just the scarcity. It's the novelty. It's uh, you know, like I was like I was saying, there's a lot of leverage in markets, a lot of wealth and a lot of inequality Two people are just putting their money in whatever they think will make them money, you know, mm-hmm. um, just because out of desperation, there's that, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of psychological uh, uh, elements to what is going on. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, absolutely. But, yeah, but as I do have to wrap it up soon, is there anything else you, you would like to you would like to talk about? Is there anything you'd like to say about um, about me, about your own um, podcast? Anything coming up for you in particular? Yeah, that's a good. That's a great question. So um, yeah, there'll be uh, pl- plenty of more um, opportunities to 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 go into more topics on in the podcast. So. Uh, I'm trying to have the podcast as a uh, as a way for like an audience to to explore different ideas and have um, sort of a neutral approach because I, I I do believe opportunity comes to those that um, do not necessarily get locked into specific um, narratives. There, there can be strong belief systems that a person can have, um, but but a lot of the success I've even seen. Um, over this market cycle and, and just in general have been from um, considering opportunities and options. Like, I, I think this is already a, an extremely good conversation. There's so much good um, TA in those charts that is so useful across all the financial markets. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, and then I, I guess for a good place for everybody to follow you, is there uh, preferred social media outlets for, for everybody to find you? Uh, you can you can follow me on Twitter. I don't update every day on Twitter, but if you really like Twitter, I do have uh, an account there. Uh, I post all my major TA updates on there and some of my thoughts. Um, I also have a trading view. That's where I post most of my ideas. Um, so you just can go to tradingview.com slash you slash Victor Cobra. I think that's that's how it is. Uh, let me just make make sure. Uh, that's the URL. 
Um, yeah, tradingview.com slash you slash Victor Cobra. You can also just Google Victor Cobra and my ideas will pop up. Um, um, let's see what else. I am working, like I said, on my own podcast. It will happen eventually, everything in time. I am very busy. I am artist, musician, grad student. I'm also working. You know, it's a lot of stuff. A lot of people who do this sort of um, thing, like market stuff, uh, only do this. Um, you know, let's, if I charge a subscription for people to uh, view my TA or or uh, to join some Telegram channel, if I charge a subscription, perhaps this could be the only thing that I do. But I don't, I don't like to impose financial barriers on people to access uh, information like this. So I don't think that's really fair. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I will be working on a podcast. Um, I do know what I'm going to talk about in my first episode. A lot of it relates to um, what I was mentioning before in terms of the psychology behind technical technical analysis and the psychology behind bad decision making and why people tend to uh, collectively make bad choices. <laughs> I think that's pretty interesting. Um, you know, I do plan on having guests, so would love to have you as well on my my podcast. We'll return the uh, the uh, the favor there, so that will be fun. Um, and yeah, that's it. You can just follow me on Twitter. Sure, and I I think it the the um it just cut out there. Um, and just just so just so um everybody has um access to you, Victor's social media i will also um tag it in the twitter post for this podcast uh make sure to check it out um you guys already know where to find me wave 3 tv on twitter youtube and instagram and then make sure to follow uh victor as well through his social media outlets because it is also provided in the twitter post as well as this podcast and then oh, it looks not- like my connection dropped yeah, the, the the screen is uh, just uh, was in there. I was just uh, putting a, a a nice closing there to um, just so anybody that listens can follow you on on Twitter, which I'll I'll post in the in the in the Twitter thread so that they can just uh, click on the, the at um, your tag Victor Cobra and then uh, follow you on Twitter. All right, sounds good. I think I missed part of what you said because my mm-hmm. my connection dropped for for like 20 seconds, but, um, but I caught the last bit and yeah, thank you so much. Um, and, uh, until, until next time. Until next time. Take care, everyone. All right. Take care.